G'day and welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I am your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC, so thanks very much to both of them. Now, if your mates miss the shows at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts and Stitcher, so no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Just a reminder as well, the clarity of the recording isn't quite as good as when we do it in the studio, so our apologies there, but as I say each week, we still wanted the programming to continue regardless of what the pandemic is doing to all of us. Uh, we just still want to get these, this, these words out for us. So today, I would like to introduce you to Candy Rodabar, who is doing a Doctor of Science in Rehabilitation Health Leadership under the supervision of Drs. Marcia Finlayson and Kathleen Norman. Welcome to Grad Chat, Candy. Thank you. Now, as usually happens, um, I got to meet Candy virtually a couple of weeks ago during an orientation type session for one of our new programs, Rehabilitation Health Leadership. And I happened to mention the opportunities to promote your research to the group and brought up Grad Chat. And of course, I had to give that a plug, as, as you know, because saying that if any of them had any time they wanted to come on the show, just let me know. Well, well, Candy jumped in straight away. And so here we are this week chatting with Candy. So Candy, before we talk, I guess a couple of things, before we talk about your research, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Now, what is your background? Because not a lot of people think that um, grad students come directly from undergrad, but that's not not so in your case. So can you give us a bit of a background about yourself? Sure. So my background is as an occupational therapist, and I worked in healthcare for a number of years, mostly in mental health. And then I started teaching at Red Deer College in their therapy assistant program. They started a new occupational and physical therapist assistant program in 2013. And so I was really interested in teaching and decided to do a teaching role. And so I've been there ever since. And right now I'm off on sabbatical so I can finish up my doctoral studies. But for the past several years, I've been teaching. Wow. Uh, and it's interesting, actually, because a lot of our occupational therapy students, or not just our students, all OT students or people in the field do come back and do some other form of continued education, uh, which is really nice. Like we have our rehabilitation sciences program where we have a lot of OT and, and physical therapists come back and work, uh, do some studies in there. But you've chosen the Doctor of Science in Rehabilitation Health Leadership program. And, and you know, this is actually the first DSC on campus. Um, can you tell us a bit about the program and, and why you chose that program? Mm -hmm. So this is a new program and I'm actually part of the first cohort. And so right now we have three cohorts of students because the program has been going on for the past three years. And so for me personally, I was interested in doing some further education and I wasn't quite sure what area I wanted to pursue. But as an occupational therapist, the rehabilitation side was interesting to me. And I was also interested in doing some more leadership development. I was the chairperson in our program at Red Deer College. And I just felt like I needed more 
training on the leadership side. And so when I heard about this new program and it encompassed both leadership and rehab, it seemed like a perfect fit. And the more I looked into the program, the more it really confirmed that it was the one for me. So Candy, thanks for telling me about the program, but can you also tell me you're doing a doctor of science, not a PhD or doctor of philosophy. So why has this program got a, a DSC as opposed to a PhD? And, and what's the difference? Is there a difference? Mm-hmm. So that's something that I wondered about when I first learned about the program is what exactly is a doctor of science? And so our dissertation is considered an applied dissertation. And so in a doctor of science, we focus on a real world problem and creating a practical solution. So we aren't just finding information for the sake of new knowledge. It has to have that applied feature. And that's really what distinguishes a doctor of science from a PhD is that application piece. Well, I guess with the PhD, I mean, it's a doctor of philosophy. It's, it's the thinking, right? Mm-hmm. But like you said, yours is applied. Although a lot of the PhDs, even though it is more of a philosophical theory type thing, we, you know, the end result, we're hoping it can be practical in, in use <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in some way. But that's a good explanation. So thank you very much for giving us that. Mm-hmm. Now, is this an online program or a combination? It's blended. So we started with an on-site session where we all went to Kingston. So I'm from Alberta and we have um, students from all over Canada. And so we started with an on-site session where we got to meet each other and meet our instructors and begin. And then our classes were delivered mostly online with some face-to-face portions. And right now, because of COVID, our on-site sessions are being done virtually, but we still have that opportunity to come together synchronously and work with students in our cohort and in the other cohorts. That's fantastic. It's weird when I ask the question, is it online? Because we're all online. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's one of the nice things about those blended programs is that even though the majority of your work is done online, there there usually are those opportunities to still get together and meet each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've really loved that. Yeah, it's been very nice to to have that online ability because that's what really allowed me to do the program if it was all face-to-face I just couldn't have made it happen. But um, having those face-to-face portions have also been really nice to connect with our with our cohort and our instructors. Yeah, having some mates around who are going through the same process is really, really important. And I say that to, to all our students, creating your own little community can be um, tremendous in getting you through the program, particularly those of you who are also still working full-time as well. Yes, absolutely. Well, it must be nice though that you're able to take a, a year's a year sabbatical. I'm assuming it was a year to sort yes. of help finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I began in July, and so it has been really strange this fall not being teaching. <laughs> and well, it's, yes. Oh, it's made such a difference um, for doing my doctoral studies because most of us in our program are working full time, and at times that can be hard to manage. Our program is designed for people who are working full-time and many of our assignments and projects are geared toward the workplace, which is really nice. But just having that time freed up to let me focus on my dissertation has been so valuable. 
Well, I, I'm not sure if you're aware, but we've got a, and I haven't set up the registration yet, but I will this week, uh, next dis virtual dissertation boot camp, which is a great opportunity for our students who are in the writing stages to get to meet each other and sort of be able to clock on and clock off each day and saying, yeah, I'm going to write for this so many hours this day, etc." So you may want to consider that too, to sort of meet some people outside of your particular cohort um, and get some more sub tips tips mm -hmm. and tricks on writing your thesis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm planning to attend for sure. Excellent. So I better get my act together and get that <laughs> registration out. <laughs> no pressure on me. Thanks very much for that. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess what we should do, Candy, is, is actually talk about your research topic, which is life skills training for therapy assistant students. Before we go into some nitty gritty questions, can you just give people a bit of an overview of what that entails? So life skills are those skills we need day to day for basic functioning. So it could be things like feeding ourselves or managing our money or just doing all of those day to day things. And so my research is focused on developing and implementing training modules for therapy assistant students so that they can receive more information about life skills to hopefully better prepare them to do those skills in their own lives and to help clients with life skills. Right. I guess, can I ask you one more question? Because a lot of people get confused, and I should have asked this earlier, get confused between the difference of, of an occupational therapist and a physical therapist. Mm -hmm. That's a really common... Give, yeah, would you be able to give us just a bit of a... Uh, what is the difference? Mm -hmm. So occupational therapy is focused on occupations, which are basically all the things that fill a person's time. It's your jobs of living is another way to define it. So all the things that you do day to day to take care of yourself, to enjoy life, to be productive, to take care of others, those are your occupations. And so occupational therapists focus on helping people to do those things that they need and want to do. So we might help to restore a person's abilities or improve their abilities or try to maintain their ability to function in daily life. And it could involve physical rehabilitation. It can also involve mental health and really all aspects of a person's functioning. Is it also um, looking at, for instance, in the home, making a home more livable for for people? Yes. Does it bring in the physical, that sort of physical part of things? Of yep. If you're in an office space or in a, a work, a home space. Mm -hmm. So we look at the environment that a person needs to function in. So that can involve their home, their work, their community. And we look at either ways that we can help the person learn the skills needed to thrive in that environment, or we look at ways that you can modify the environment or modify what the person is doing so that they can function safely. So that could be something as simple as installing grab bars in a person's bathroom so that they can balance when they get in and out of the shower. Right. And you mentioned there are sort of aspects where it would be important to bring a physical therapist in. So I guess there's a lot of collaboration that goes on between the two fields. Is that correct? Yes, there's definitely some overlap and some collaboration. So the physical therapists really specialize in that physical aspect of function. Mm -hmm. And um, they often do more of the of the physical rehab side where the occupational therapists also do physical rehab with that focus on function. 
and function. Yeah. Okay. So hopefully that's cleared it up for mm-hmm. everyone because it is one of those things go, well, what's the diff? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so thank you for clearing that up for everyone. But back to your your research itself, why did you decide to do research in the life skills area? And you know, and, and I guess there's some follow-on questions from there, you know, what made you interested in life skills? And what is unique about the therapy assistant students? Mm-hmm. That's a so, bit of a whammy, three, three part yeah. there. Yeah. So my work with therapy assistants is the therapy assistant students have a two-year diploma program where they learn basically how to implement the rehabilitation under the direction of a therapist. So they might work with an occupational therapist, a physical therapist. It could even be a speech-language pathologist or a recreation therapist. So they have a really broad background of training. And I noticed in some of my students that they might struggle with life skills themselves. So for example, when students would go to practicum, often they would have to move to another city and they'd have to go there for, you know, the number of weeks of their placement. So it might be six weeks or so. And for many students, it was overwhelming and they, they were so worried about just how they would deal with life when they moved to a new place. And I heard about a student who said, there's no toaster oven in my place where I'm moving. How will I get my bagel ready in the morning? And (laughs) so it really made me think, you know, these students are expected to work with clients on life skills. They're expected to help clients with things like cooking. And see what they've got available to them. Yeah. And so when students don't necessarily feel confident in these skills themselves, they are not set up for success when they go into the workplace. And so it really made me think, how could this problem be addressed to help with those life skills so that the students could be more prepared and just more able to function in their own lives and able to help clients? So what what kind of person wants to become a therapy assistant student in the first place? They tend to be people who are interested in helping others. They like to interact with other people and they have a real interest in rehabilitation. So they like to to see people get better or improve their ability to function in life. And they just tend to be those really caring people who are interested in health and healthcare. They want to be more of a supporting role as opposed to the leader. Yeah. And as a therapy assistant, they go to school for two years and then they're working directly with clients where to become a therapist, which many of our graduates do go on to do for their schooling. As a therapist, they need to do generally six years of school and then they are responsible for more of the assessment and the treatment planning. And sometimes they do less of the hands-on role with patients where therapy assistants are very hands-on and they're working with their clients every day. Are there good numbers of therapy assistant students? Because I just wonder when, with all these things that have been going on in COVID-19 and what's happening in some of our elderly residences and things. A therapy assistant person is very different to some to the people who are working in some of these elderly residences. Is that correct? Or they, can they be both? They can sometimes be both. And many of our graduates do work in long-term care settings or they might work in hospitals or clinics or a variety of healthcare settings. And I have heard a lot about shortages in healthcare workers, including therapy assistants. So there's definitely a need there 
where I'm sure that everyone we can possibly train, there is a role for them somewhere because of that need. So that's where it's important with the research that you're doing that you can assist them accordingly to to understand the cult, well, moving to different places and working in different environments and things. Mm-hmm. So, so with that being in mind, why is there an issue with the life skills for the college students? And you alluded to it a little bit before. Sometimes it's because they're just not thinking about what's around them that they can be using. Other times it's they've never been away from home, which is always difficult for a young person the first time they move away from home. So why is there this issue with life skills for college students? That was part of what I really wanted to find out because I wanted to know, is what I'm seeing something unique to just certain individuals that I see, or is this a common issue? Is it common in college students in general? And when I did my literature review, I found that it's actually really common for college students, especially in their first year, to to struggle with life skills and to feel overwhelmed and stressed and just have difficulty managing all those things that they have to do to be independent and thrive in the student role. And so the literature really confirmed those things that I was seeing where many students struggle. So you're saying many students struggle, but does the literature review also show with similar students have struggled 20 years ago? Or, I mean, is this life? I mean, I, I see it today with some of the students, the young stu- students at university, and some of them adapt really quickly and others don't. And the ones I believe that don't are the ones that haven't had the experience to do things by themselves before. They've always had help. And I was I was wondering in your literature review, was the differences, for instance, from generations, but also from rural to metropolitan or urban? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wondered because we often hear, oh, young people, they really, they're not good at these things. Back in the day, everyone knew this or everyone learned this or was good at it. And so I looked at literature from different eras, basically. And it was fascinating that the the different eras of literature were saying the same thing. And so I found some things from 2019 some from 1974, and then one from 1870. And all of them said, in former days, people learned how to do things like sewing and cooking, but their parents are just too busy and they don't teach them what they need and they're not learning it in school, so there's a gap. And it was just fascinating that this has been said for years and years and years. Because I remember when I went to high school, we Everyone had to do home economics, <laughs> some of those things, whether we wanted to or not, we had to do it. But you're right. I mean, every, today is so fast. And even even the cooking side of things, everyone, if you don't want to cook, you just go down the road and buy it and mm-hmm. just stick it in the microwave, um, which sort of brings back to your, your statement at the beginning with someone who wanted to cook a bagel but didn't have a toaster oven or yep. something. <laughs> <laughs> It really made me think that there is definitely a perception that young people are less competent than the youth of previous generations. But I think it maybe is just a part of being a human and going through the stages of life where it's hard to learn all the things that we need to know how to do. And sometimes we lack experience. Sometimes we weren't taught different things or we just didn't have the chance to do them. And for whatever reason, there are going to be things that 
in early adulthood, it's hard, it can be stressful, and we might feel unprepared. And, you know, some people seem to really naturally do fine and others have more difficulty, but I think it is universal that learning these things can be challenging at times. So what kind of things are you trying to teach them? Well, when I did the literature review, there were a few things that came up that tend to be hard for college students, and they were the same things I was seeing. So it was things like preparing meals, managing money, uh, managing stress, study skills, things like that. And so I wanted to find out, are the needs of therapy assistant students the same as what I'm seeing and the same as what the literature is saying? And so the first portion of my research was a qualitative phase where I gathered data from students and graduates and then preceptors and instructors. So the preceptors supervise students during practicum and the instructors teach them in their diploma program. And the qualitative data really did confirm the same that I was seeing in the literature. So the needs are things like uh, time management skills, communicating with others effectively, making meals, managing a daily schedule, etc. And so based on all that data, I kind of identified three major areas that seem to come up the most. And so one I kind of defined as performance management. So that was things like study skills, stress management, managing time, etc. The second area was money management. And then the third was manual skills. And those were the hands-on skills that people need, like preparing meals, um, sewing. Therapy assistants might need to do sewing in their jobs and use of tools. So therapy assistants in occupational therapy need to sometimes adjust wheelchairs. And for someone who's never used tools, that can be pretty daunting. (laughs) And so, Yeah. yeah, those were the main areas that came up. I think even when you're looking at some of the performance management skills and even using tools, you're right there. I mean, a lot of the times we don't see what's around us, do we? Mm -hmm. What we could potentially be using to sort out a problem. Yep, exactly. And uh, having those skills is is very important to have, but how do do you teach those skills? I mean, because to me too, with some of this is observation skills. Of, mm-hmm. of looking and not just saying, well, it's not in the drawer, so I, I can't do it. Yeah. What else could I use instead? Yeah. Um, yeah. And many of the, the skills that are important and were identified as a gap are things that are taught within therapy assistant programs. So for example, communication, all students right. in therapy assistant programs take courses on therapeutic communication, but it can still be challenging even though they learn it and that problem solving piece it it is really challenging to teach and I did include within the modules I did include a problem solving section that talks about you know how do you approach a problem how do you break it down so that you can solve it what are the basic problem solving skills so I'm hoping that by having that information it can show students how to think it through and break it down so that whatever the problem is that comes up, they have those skills to think of different solutions and choose an appropriate response. Mm-hmm. They can go through a process in their heads. Yeah. So I can follow this process and then we can come up with a conclusion yep. or solution yep. as opposed to thinking, oh my goodness, I don't know where to even start. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You, you mentioned things about you know stress levels and things like that or mental mm-hmm. health. In, in literature, again, there, 
did it show whether you know the mental stress was was big in particularly in the first few times that they 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 move out to do some practicums and things like that yes um the literature really indicated that managing stress can be a big deal for students and it's one of the factors that can impact how successful they are in terms of completing their programs and in terms of grades. And so I thought that was a really important area to target in the life skills training modules is stress management skills, because as a student, student life is stressful. There are going to be things that you have to handle that are challenging. And when you add the aspect of you know, maybe being in a new place, you've moved to a new city, you're coping with things that you haven't had to deal with before, you might not have your support system there, like your family and friends. And so all of that can really add to a person's stress. And if the student has skills to cope with that, to be resilient, they're much more likely to be successful than if they get caught in in all of that stress. It's interesting, actually, because I know people who have from time to time got themselves a little bit stressed or anxious and things like that and one of the first things I say are you sleeping well Mm -hmm. because it's it's a lot easier to try and cope with changes if you're feeling good mentally yourself in terms you're not tired yes then if you're if you're super super tired it's very hard to focus on anything and get things into play Mm -hmm. so what kind of so when we're talking about that in the module uh, what sort of skills do you show them to help them get through that sort of situation well in the performance management module that one covers stress management and coping skills and it's specific to therapy assistant students so i talk about some of the things that are unique stresses for therapy assistant students such as practical exams and There's also information on time management and study skills, sleep, and problem solving. And so I had to keep the modules short enough that it wouldn't be an added stress to have to do it. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Otherwise you've exacerbated the problem. (laughs) Yeah, because students are busy enough. And so I tried to put really the key information that would give them some exposure to the different areas and have a good start because I think – that is a good way to make things less overwhelming. If it's like, okay, I've seen this before. I've heard this before. I know where to start. And then they don't have to feel so overwhelmed. Do you have in some of your modules um, how to, and I don't want to use the word cope, and I'm not quite sure what word I should be using, but there's a, in today's society, particularly in Canada, we have this melting pot of different cultures Mm-hmm. Um, is there something in the modules to talk about cultural differences? And, you know, the buzzwords these days are, you know, EDII, equity, diversity, inclusion, and, and, and indigeneity. Are some of those a part of your modules as well? In the coping skills section within the performance management module, I did touch on that because students are working with people of a variety of backgrounds and Mm -hmm. cultures. And part of what came up in the qualitative phase of my research was that it can be challenging for students to work with people who are different from them, even if it's something as simple as the student wants to show them how to get dressed with the use of one hand, but the student has two hands and they have to figure out how do I see it from the other person's perspective to understand Mm -hmm you know, physically, how is that person going to do this? And so that's that kind of skill really applies to 
every setting because you're going to be working with people who are different from you. They have different experiences, different knowledge. And so how do you use your problem solving skills and your coping skills to have the empathy to understand where another person is coming from? Well said. And very well said. And so with these modules, have you actually started these modules or is it in the process of being put into play? So they've been developed and released to a cohort of students. So I have a partner institution who has a cohort of therapy assistant students who um, agreed to try the modules. And so I made them available to the students and they have them available for this semester to try them out. And then I will collect some data from that group, such as pre and post quizzes to see if they learned from the modules in terms of knowledge and some satisfaction surveys. And then there's also what's called the occupational self-assessment. And it looks at a person's basically confidence and self-efficacy in doing different life skills. And I wanted to see is a person's self-efficacy, so their confidence in their ability to perform life skills, is it impacted by having access to these modules? And so that's the phase I'm in right now is the modules have been released and then I'll be collecting that data to see how did they work? How did they affect the students who tried them? That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they're going to get a lot from it because you said the modules themselves aren't particularly long, which is great. Mm -hmm. And, and, And this, of course, is on top of what the other stuff that they're learning. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted it to be something that they could do in the little spare time that they have, and they can also pick and choose. So they can say, okay, I feel really comfortable with cooking. I don't feel like I need to go through that section, but budgeting, yes, that's something that I need. So they can pick and choose and do the portions of the modules that they think are relevant for them. I think it's really nice that you're looking at the student themselves as opposed to who the students, when they become um, fully trained, going out and helping. Um, So because you want to get good students and people to go back into the workforce, like you said, there are some areas that are short on this sort of assistance. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you're looking at, you know, how can we support our students get through the program better and be better prepared themselves. So then they, the only thing they have to worry about is the people they're looking after. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really, really important. Mm -hmm. And the literature really suggests that life skills training can be helpful for college students. And so I'm really hoping that it, that this is the same where that the modules do help the students and then they can be more confident in their own life skills and just in a way better position to to help others and feel confident in their careers. I think people will be very interested in the outcomes of your your pilot because I could see the modules and things that you're working on here could be transferred to other groups, particularly those who have, well, not, not even those that have to go and help others, but any sort of life skill is, uh, is important for all of us to learn so we can cope with the day-to-day things that get thrown at us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because <laughs> we all have problems at time, from time to time with our budgeting and time management and, yep. uh, and all those sorts of things. So it'll be interesting to see how it, how it goes. So, I, so I, um, I'm sure people are going to be very interested in your results. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and life skills really are so universal. I could see this having applicability for really any students. Mm-hmm. which in this day and age, we're always talking about what supports are available to our students. 
um, to help them succeed because ultimately we want people to succeed, mm-hmm. whether it's within a university setting or whether it's for the, you know like these um, students who are doing um, the work with you. We we want people to succeed because if we can succeed, then we've got good people out there helping others. So yeah. um, I think that's going to be really really good. You're clearly the right kind of person to to do this, and maybe that was why you went into occupational therapy in the first place. Um, because, as I understand it, you know, looking after yourself is very very important to you because you do like hiking and being in the outdoors and things. But you also um, are an author of a couple of books. Mm-hmm. Uh, good food, vegan, and and then relaxation. So they're all very, very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are my my websites that I do on the side as a hobby. <laughs> as a hobby, I love it. But I'm sure a lot of people might like to um, sort of go in and have a look at that. So it's it's goodfoodvegan.com and relaxationaudio.com. So we can sort of pick up some, some of our own life skills from you as well as, as what you're doing <laughs> in your, your doctoral studies. So, Candy, I can't believe it. I always say this in the beginning. I, I wonder how we get, you know, whether we're going to get through to the 29 minutes, but we, we clearly do. We've gone way over already, <laughs> but that's okay because I, I enjoy these sort of conversations and I think people would have learned a lot from, from what you're trying to do, um, assisting these students. So thank you very much for doing that um, to help them along the way. And I wish you best of luck, one, with your own research paper yourself but also finishing your degree um, hopefully within the time frame of your sabbatical so then you can put everything back out there into practice so I really do appreciate you coming onto the show oh thank you so much for having me it's been fun good and and I was saying to Candy earlier I just wish we were in the studio because it's so much better but it would have been a bit difficult anyway because Candy's in Alberta but (laughs) it'd be a long trip (laughs) it would have been a long trip and and my budget doesn't go that far so (laughs) so Candy it's been great chatting with you thank you again Um, thank you for doing it remotely and and the best of luck with the finishing off your degree and I wish you all the best so thank you Thank you. So that's it, everyone. A, another week of Grad Chat suddenly comes to an end. Don't forget you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcast, or Stitcher. Just type in a Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the GJ signing off with a big hooray. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences. Hey.